It's time for the only show where today's top mid-revenue cycle leaders share the personal stories, struggles, and successes that you won't hear on the big stage, but made them who they are today. Are you ready to go off the record? Here's your host, Brian Murphy. Technology, I'm of a mixed mind. Uh, broadly, I think technology is a blessing for humanity. It saves lives and in the world, in my world, uh, I'm talking to you all over Zoom in a podcast. So it may or may not be a blessing, but it goes to show you its impact and influence more broadly. Um, but it does also strike me as a little naive to think technology is a universal good. Anyone think smartphones and social media wars have improved the country? Not so sure. But one thing that is true, love it or hate it, it's here to stay. It's increasingly ubiquitous in our space and something CDI coding case management professionals just cannot work without. So today on Off the Record, I wanted to talk to someone whose organization uh, is what I would consider to be a heavy tech user. I'm not sure of that, but they certainly strike me as that uh, that way. Um, and someone who's not a representative of one of the, of a tech company, but a customer. I wanted to get a little bit more of an objective look at some of the tech we're seeing in the CDI and coding space these days. So I want to welcome to the show, Corey Anderson. Corey is the Medical Director of Physician Advisor Services, CDI Quality, um, and Enterprise Medical Staff President at Salt Lake City, Utah-based Intermountain Health. That was a mouthful. Got a lot of responsibilities here, Corey. <laughs> Impressive title, and I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for joining me on uh, Off the Record. Well, thank you, Brian. It's, it's always good to to chat with you. Like I said, I was looking through some of the prior episodes, and you've had some awesome guests um, that I also know from other you know other venues. And so, hopefully, I can be somewhat uh, in their in their league with uh, with the podcast. So, but thanks for I having me. I think so. I think they'd be flattered that that um, you know you're you're so humble and and think you're not quite in that category. I'd push you right in that category. Oh, well, that's you're just coming. me. Yeah. So Corey and I go way back to a couple of physician advisor exchanges a few years yep. ago. <laughs> not, not way, way back, but uh, I'm few. thrilled to have you on a few years, yeah. few years. Absolutely. In my active days. So, you know, as I like to do, let's, I want to learn a little bit more about you before we delve into today's topic, which is going to be, you know, technology more broadly, but could you describe your role for us here at Intermountain from a, you know, CDI encoding perspective, a, a day in the life of Corey Anderson, if uh, that is actually a thing, I, it, it's probably <laughs> a variable, I imagine. And you, and I, I think you're still seeing patients too. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was, I was thinking about this, a day in the life of Corey does not sound super exciting to most people. I know, <laughs> you know, it's funny when you, when you talk to people and they find out you're a physician, but, and then the next statement is, but I don't see patients that often. They kind of look at you like, okay, so what do you do? <laughs> and you try to explain physician advisors and CDI, oh, you just see the eyes glaze and like they have no idea what you're talking about. So I've tried to do that at, at various family events and parties and I, I lose people in 15 to 20 seconds, if not earlier. <laughs> so I just try to say I have a medical director role, you know, whatever. But yeah. um so yeah, so I've so I'm a I'm a hospitalist by by training, internal medicine trained. Um I've been with Intermountain Health for about 15 and a half years now. Um, I, I am currently, I've been in the physician advisor world for about 11 years, um, about 12 years ago, you know, we were probably like a lot of organizations, we outsourced our physician advisor work doing, you know, status reviews and some appeal work and things like that. And 
about 12 years ago, kind of uh, the light bulb went off and we said, look, this is something we can build probably from within. Uh, and my, my mentor took that role on and then I was brought on board as kind of that second physician. And now we're a, a team uh, that with this new merger that we underwent, we're about 40 physicians deep and we have about 90 plus CDI nurses as our CDI and physician advisor team are together. So um, I, uh, the last three, almost four years now, I've been the system or enterprise medical director for that physician advisor and CDI team. And I think, you know, our, our alignment with CDI and physician advisors being one together team is a little bit unique. I don't think, as I've talked to folks around the country, it's, you know, completely out of the box. But when you look at how a lot of programs are structured, it, it is a little bit of a different way to go. And we actually roll up through what's called clinical excellence or kind of this typical quality and safety sort of, you know, home or shop that a lot of organizations would um, would have. The one difference I would say with our clinical excellence department is it actually houses a lot of different services like infection prevention, safety, quality, regulatory. So these are folks and teams that I work with every day. And so when we bump up against different things, right, whether it's safety metrics and PSIs, you know, the quality team, we're not randomly passing each other in the hall. We are intentionally mm. coming together on a regular basis to talk about the work and how we partner together, both from the, the documentation side all the way through the clinical care and how do we talk to the frontline providers and use our physician advisors to do that. So that's really how we've kind of set up our team. And so a lot of my day is around, you know, already today I've met with payer contracting about things. I just had a, you know, a JOC meeting with one of our payers. You know, I'm in meetings about denial strategies and preventions and things like that. Really, my day has spent a lot of the strategy and overseeing appeals and denials work for our physicians, utilization review, CDI work, and then we have a physician education arm of how do we then convey all that information and get that message out to our frontline teams so that we can close the loop and really do true process improvement, right? Um, mm -hmm. And we leverage our physicians and their re the relationships they have clinically with the, the folks they work with to kind of be a, 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 a difference maker in terms of getting folks to the table and being willing to engage and to talk. So that's what a lot of my day is. I do work a couple of shifts a month. I usually take a Friday afternoon and do an admitting shift a couple times a month at the hospital still as the hospitalist. Yeah. And I, I serve as the medical staff president at that trauma two facility that I, that I work at. Um, those wow. things have to be decided years ahead and, a lot has happened since that. So I kind of, had I known today what I, you know, I wish I'd known back then what I know today and I may not have signed up for some of this stuff, but yeah. it is what it is. So you make the best of it. Well, I think the CDI world's better for it. And we're, we're I'm glad to have you in this space. Um, you know, if, you got, if you've got the other big party today is now coming on podcasts because yeah, once you've yeah, done this, right. you'll, you'll probably get other <laughs> invites as well. But I love the way that you structured your the way that your reporting structure and who you're integrated with. Um, I was just writing the other day on, on LinkedIn about uh, the surviving sepsis campaign and SEP1 being adopted into hospital value-based purchasing in 2026. And a lot of comments from folks that, well, the quality abstraction is a lot different than the coding and there's, there's different needs both sides have. And you can see them working at odds when they should be all under one 
structure, right? And mm-hmm. getting the same information that both need to get that documented for you know the codes and the eventual DRG assignment, but also for checking off all the boxes to get it in the right in that right uh, quality metric. So um, it's really cool what you've done, and I, I and I was just struck. I wrote down forty physician advisors. Again, yeah, it's, I, not 40, it's not 40 FTEs. People always, okay. confuse, you know, so it's not 40 FTEs. It's, it's probably somewhere between around 20 or so. A lot of those dog, all of them are still doing some clinical outside of maybe a couple. Um, so, and like so we have a lot of points, kind of quarter yeah. time to 0.5 FTE sort of docs that some do UR, some do UR and peer to peer, some do educate, you know, we kind of mix and match how, what works for folks. And gotcha. um, yeah. And how many and hospitals do you have a tight you? connection to finance? I don't don't misunderstand me. I still have to report to the oh, finance yeah. folks. And um, I actually have that meeting later today or every six weeks. But um, it's not the primary focus of what we do. It's a lot about quality and safety as well. So. Yep. Yep. And that's probably how physicians are going to respond to this, right? It's the quality safety uh-huh. piece. It's the ODE ratio. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, so... Let's get a little bit more into technology then. So could you just give us a, a broad picture of what you guys are using um, from a technology side? So inside baseball, we, we chatted a little before the show. <laughs> and I know I would love to hear, we'll, I think we're going to talk mostly about CAPD or Computer Assisted Physician Documentation. Uh, but anything from a broad picture that you guys are using that you can just outline for us? Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny, I, I was thinking about this a little bit too. And I, you know, organizations become so big to be honest, like, and, and technology is advancing right. so rapidly to be quite candid. There's probably stuff going on within Intermountain that I am not privy to. And I do not know, but what I can right. tell yeah. you is um, from the CDI physician advisor perspective, um, we're straddling two sides of the fence with EMRs to start um, the integration or the organization we're integrating with they're on Epic we are on Cerner and the legacy Intermountain side. Um, it's public knowledge now we are all moving to Epic, but that's gonna take a couple of years. So just from a high level EMR perspective, it's an interesting day-to-day oh, sort yeah. of world to live in. For our CDI encoding, um, we are a 3M shop and that is in throughout the organization. Now we have different pieces of the 3M technology in different parts of the organization. And that's part of my job um, is getting us standardized on all the same um, software and tools that we're using. So we do use the 3DM, um, the 3M 360 Encompass software, and then also the, the CDI Engage One, which is the CAPD um, kind of the, the AI, NLU, NLP stuff. We do use a lot of Tableau and things like that for data and tracking and stuff like that. And then in our outpatient world, we are using some of the ambient, dicta- ambient dictation um, sort of technology with uh, primary care providers and kind of piloting some of that as far as, you know, improving documentation in that, in that space. I'm not heavily involved in the outpatient space. That's a separate part of the organization. You know, we partner together, we're aligned, we communicate, but I don't, I don't really work in that space and have much to say about it, but high level, that's kind of um, some of the stuff that we're, that we're using day to day. It's pretty incredible. And I, I sound like a dinosaur or a broken record, but I, I, when, when Actus began and I helped start it back in 2007, hospitals were still, a lot of them were still using paper. Yeah. You know, it was 2009, we saw rapid adoption of EHRs. There was a government incentive program. And 
Uh, but even assistive technologies for CDI really weren't there. Folks were still using, you know, DRG expert ma paper mm -hmm. manuals and assign it's 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 incredible what has occurred. Um, I was just reading actually earlier today. It was uh, Becker's, uh, which I recommend people subscribe to. Um, it says Epic has generative AI built into its AR to draft patient portal messages, uh, write nurse handoffs, and create patient summaries. And the company says it has more than 60 additional use cases in development. I mean, generative AI, we're starting to see. I'm, I'm wondering when we're going to start seeing generative uh, AI summer, uh, discharge summaries, for example, and what that will mean mm -hmm. for coding. And it's incredible uh, what's going on on the on the on the tech side. So I don't I don't blame you, Corey, for not knowing every single piece of tech you're. It changes so <laughs> fast. Yeah, your organization's using. It's got to be constantly changing. Um. All right, so that gives us a broad picture. Let's get into the CAPD piece. Um, and what you what what's what's the name of the program specifically you mentioned? So I can... so it's it's called three. It's CDI Engage One. Um, Immodal is the I, I think the older name. Although I'll I'll be honest, I feel like the names kind of go back and forth, and I'm not ever totally sure day to day <laughs> which one is the one I should use it or call it. But yeah. it's the the Immodal CDI Engage One product is what we use. And, and I think there's a few different companies out there that have a similar tool, but that's yeah. the one we use. Yeah, this is more of a, 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 I guess, a newer tool. Um, mm -hmm. You know, none of this stuff is particularly old, but you look at like chart prioritization has been around for a few years now. And of mm -hmm. course, computer assisted coding and so forth. But CAPD is a relatively newer technology. So, um, and I'm particularly interested in it because obviously, sort of maybe for the layman, correct me if I'm wrong, Corey, I don't use it. And I don't, I, and I, I should say I have no, relationship with 3M or M modal otherwise, but it's really prompts to the physician, right? Like, so as they're documenting, they're seeing prompts or nudges to be more specific based on what they're inputting. Is that is that kind of how it looks in practice? I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I, I don't have a visual here because we're, we're a podcast, but. So that's a good <laughs> question. And I think out of the box, that's what it is. I think okay. the, and, and we can talk more about it, the the interesting thing, and I think the, the cool thing that we've been able to do, and, I, and I'll be honest and transparent, this has been through our partnership with the 3M folks that they've given, this ability, the, given us the ability to do this, is we've been able to be creative with this technology. So out of the box, it was, hey, as your physicians are doing their documentation, how can we more proactively help them document correctly and accurately with specificity upfront rather than always chasing it with queries and things like that, right? And, and that process has not gone away. We still query physicians by, you know, as much as we ever have because things just keep getting bigger and, and you know, broader and HCCs and whatever, you know, all, yeah. the, all the different things just kind of keep getting added in there. But the idea is that, you know, if I'm documenting and I document, you know, chronic kidney disease, it can see that I did not put a stage of chronic kidney disease there. And it can just nudge me in real time as it's reading over my note or the encounter. And it can say, hey, you know, Dr. Anderson, can you, if it's available, specify further with any sort of stage of the chronic kidney disease? That's kind of out of the box how that technology works. And I'll I'll be transparent to say that, you know, there's a temptation to say this is going to fix all your ails and it's going to make everything better. And that is not what technology, I think, does, to be honest, at least at this point for us mm -hmm. right now. Um, a lot of this has been paired with a lot of education to our frontline physicians and APPs around 
Who's measuring them? Why are they measuring them? How are they measuring them? What does it mean to them? Why should they care? You know, a lot of that sort of stuff. And then we bring the technology in to help them and support them to then go and do, do the work and do it efficiently and effectively. And so we really tried to leverage our data um, to see where our opportunities for improvement existed and look at these nudges is what we call them for the physicians to say, what are some of the low hanging fruit nudges that we can use that are, are commonly surfacing up that we can help our physicians improve? And I'll be honest, it's chronic kidney disease, it's heart failure. It's some of the very common ones that you, that you would think about. But we also ran into and found like, look, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to overwhelm our physicians with too much interaction from a right. tool like this. What happens if it doesn't respond the way that we want, or it's unclear what the physician needs to maybe do? And so we did have to do a lot of trial and error to kind of hone that in and really say we want straightforward, easy things that the physician can clearly know what is being asked and whether they want to provide something or, or they don't. We then took it to another level and said, is there a way to leverage this for our CDI nurses and doing their reviews and how what surfaces in their priority score and cases that they review? And that's where we've created a whole library of these nudges for our, our CDI nurses around things like sepsis and many of our PSIs, some of the more complicated things that you don't want your physician to just cavalierly document sepsis in the note, yep. not knowing what are the ramifications of that and, and things like that. And so we use it a lot, if not more, for our CDI nurses and nudging them in, in wow. terms of the cases and prioritization for them. That is so cool. So these were initiatives that you guys started or you had asked 3M to help you pioneer? Like you said, this is a use case. Can you make this happen? Can we, can, can we, can we make it happen, I should say? Yeah, we were kind of a beta tester for a lot of this technology up front with the physicians. And as we got into it and started seeing what it could or couldn't do and what the limitations may or may not be and what was working and what wasn't, we said, hey, you know, how about we try looking at this? Is this possible? And can we build this? And yes, and if we've been able to customize it to, you know, whatever lab values are, are for your system. You can, you know, frame things around those lab values, knowing, you know, everybody's a little bit different. I'm not going to get into sepsis, but we can debate the sepsis criteria that should or should not be used. I know there's a yep. lot of, you know, discussion out there. But, there's, you know, there's, we, there's still active fistfights going on out there. Just exactly. <laughs> we, but we can construct these things around the criteria that we as an organization have said, this is what we're going to use. Love it, yep. hate it, don't agree with it, agree with it, whatever. Right. This is what we're going to use. And that's how we can, you know, get some standardization and consistency. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm fascinated by the relationship that that hospital systems have with the big tech vendors at this point, you know, because they're becoming an inextricable part of care and what you guys do. It's yet yet they're obviously an independent third party mm -hmm. for profit company. But um, you know, when especially with with the likes of 3M, we're using the, the APR methodology and and their technology is now part of the physician's workflow it's like they're they're part of the u.s healthcare ecosystem you know mm -hmm. whether, whether you like it or not that's that's the way it is and i i think it's pretty cool actually to see these interactions going on and and the amount of customization that you guys are able to uh to have with these tools they're not just out of the box physician prompting were you surprised by this as you were working with 
with them and able that you were able to make these alternative use cases and actually see them, some of them come to fruition? Like I, I've, I've never heard, like you wouldn't think CAPD would be nurse facing, uh, CDI mm-hmm. nurse facing, uh, but, here, but here you are using it for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't know if I'm surprised. I guess some of that probably comes down to, you know, what kind of relationship do you have with your vendor and, um, that sort of thing. And I'm not here to say I'm the one that fostered all the good that came out of that or exists in that relationship. It certainly predated me being in the role that I'm in. Um, but I think being able to make the case to say, look, you know, if this software helps us achieve what we're looking to achieve, um, as an organization, you know, we're happy to let others know what it can do for them. And as you know, I mean, you're right. We, we speak at a lot of different forums and share our work and mm-hmm. um, best practice. And I'm not saying that y- there aren't other technology solutions that do a similar thing, yeah. but the idea is the technology itself can, can help you and can do some things. Um, if you're given a little bit of the freedom to kind of, you know, customize it the way you need to, you know, we've mortality is a hot topic everywhere you go. And, this was another area we saw this technology could help us is we were finding we were not identifying patients ending, you know, getting to the end of life upstream early enough to actually get them the resources that would be beneficial for them and their families and improve that patient experience, whether it's palliative care or hospice. And so we used this AI technology to actually create nudges to our care managers to say, Hey, did you know they're talking about Mr. Smith about possibly being end of life or having a poor prognosis? You know, have you connected with the team? And it's not that they shouldn't be having those conversations, but they're busy too. And how do oh, they yeah. prioritize the right things? And so we've used this technology to help them prioritize, hey, I need to connect with the hospitalist or the intensivist and just make sure that they have the resources that they need. Not that we're influencing decisions or we're influencing end of life care. We're just saying, do you have what you need? Can we be a support and and using the tool to help us get more upstream to have more of an impact for patients and their families in this experience and, and these end of life situations? So, yeah, you know, do you have any examples of, of any impact metrics? I'm not asking you to share your hospital's reimbursement, but like, you know, you, you mentioned something like uh CKD specificity, you know, like that to me, that's such an easy prompt and it's, and it's such a great use case because you don't want your CDI specialists continually querying. Was this CKD stage three, stage four? Like that's not a good use of time. Could be something solved up front. So anything like that, like maybe CKD, maybe palliative care capture, anything that has noticeably improved with these tools. So I can tell you over the last few years, Brian, and, and again, I think as you and I talked the other day, I kind of look at this as like a three-legged stool, right? Where it's, you have the education, the relationship provider to provider to really set the foundation. You develop workflows that allow the providers and your team to be successful. And then the technology is kind of that third arm to really kind of bring it all together and help you do it efficiently. As we brought all of those things together over the last several years, we've seen our O to E drop about 45% in our mortality. Wow. And I, again, I'm not here to be a, a shield for any benchmarking institution, but in the benchmarking platform that we use for our our group or our organization, I should say, of the nine hospitals that get a ranking from that entity, seven are in the top 10%. Um, and that encompasses safety, mortality, efficiency, effectiveness, you know, all the different gamuts of care. So it really has 
been a key piece in helping us improve significantly in a lot of these quality and safety areas. And that's initially why we kind of, you know, went with this tool. We've obviously, as finances are more and more and more under the gun, not that they haven't always been to a degree, but our, you know, every day goes by there more and more. We're incorporating a lot more of the financial things around some of the way we use this technology so that we can walk on both sides of the fence of maintaining good quality and safety, but also maintaining good financial stewardship and, and doing what's right in that mission, ultimately to get that complete and accurate medical record. You know, and I know it feels, it's a little cliche to sometimes I always say that's what we're seeking for in CDI. I mean, it really is, right? It is. It, it's, it's ultimately the goal. And then we'll let the data reflect what the record shows. We just want a complete and accurate medical record. And the data I think will be accurate then. I will say what we've calculated this out to be is worth about four and a half CDI nurses by using this technology, meaning, you know, we don't have the bandwidth to do 100% reviews. We're about 60% coverage. So how do we get some influence at some of these smaller facilities where we just don't have humans to, to look at charts? This technology has, has helped us to do that. Yeah, um, so And cool. I would say financially, it's about a two to one return that we're seeing. Um, Wow. You know, it'd be nice if we were closer to three to one, four to one. Um, I think, you know, we'll get there. But at least right now, we, we still are seeing, you know, even at low levels, um, some financial benefit as well. Yeah. I do have to ask when you first implement it, I know you did it the right way. You talked about the three legged stool and, and educating as you're doing as you're doing this. But was there any initial resistance or physicians starting to see these initial nudges when it was first launched and like what the heck is this? Turn this off. This is oh. <laughs> was there any no, of that? Right. Our physicians no? love everything, and they embrace change like it's no problem, and they're willing to do whatever is asked of them with no no issue. So no, I'm you know I'm teasing. <laughs> Chris. That's not. That is not how you almost works. kept a straight face when you said that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was interesting, you know, we actually did the rollout. This was actually, we did a lot of this during COVID. So 2020, you know, like we had already you did it during COVID ready to go. And then the pandemic hit and I was like, well, you know, let's keep going. What I think kind of the way we approached it was we've really looked to, and I don't think that this is unique. I think a lot of organizations do this. So I'm probably not, you know, I'm not sharing any deep, dark secret, but we went to the groups we knew we would get engagement from, and that was our hospitalists, our intensivists, um, some of our our CVs, you know, our our cardio, our our cardiologists, those groups um, that are willing to be engaged in change a little okay. bit more than some of the others. And certainly, as a hospitalist, a lot of your value is reflected in documentation you know, more so than the surgeon who needs to be technically good with cutting and suturing and that sort of stuff. Um, hospitalist value, a lot of that is is dictated by how well you're documenting the complexity of your patient and the record. And so going to those groups and bringing some of this technology to them to kind of pilot um, and, and um, roll out first to build some success was incredibly valuable for us to then go to the some of the harder groups and say, look, Here's what we did down the road for the hospitalist group here. Um, your data is saying this story. Here's what we can do to help support you. And then, you know, we can leverage some of that success to create a partnership with some of those groups that are a little less willing to kind of get involved and jump on board with some of this stuff. Gotcha. So pilot it with 
the more likely adopters first. That's a great strategy. Yeah. We did use our physician advisor group as a pilot group as well, right? I mean, they're willing to to try some of this stuff. And so anytime we'd want to turn on a new nudge, hey, turn it on for our physician advisors. Let's see how it works for a couple of weeks. Let's get feedback. Let's see if it's working, if it's not working. And we we I think having a pilot group internally, if you have a physician advisor group big enough to do it, incredibly helpful. Um, yeah. You don't get a lot of chances for a first impression with the docs with some of this stuff uh, to the masses. Sure. So you want to make a good first impression. So. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, really cool. I I've love hearing about the different use cases and the impact you made. Um, so kudos there. Did want to talk a little bit about just like for the skeptics out there, um, you know, I, how smart is this technology? You know, I, I'm starting to read more. I'm seeing more and more headlines like, is it's not even a question is chat gpt smarter than a pcp and in, in some cases you know it's like it's got a higher rate of being able to detect you know forms of cancer or it can has does a better job even emoting with certain patients you know based on feedback some and some doctors just they're they're so busy you can kind of see how that could happen but is this thing, is this technology picking up things that you think maybe a, a human being could not? Is it influencing clinical practice to some degree by maybe um, offering up a prompt that a physician might not have thought of themselves? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm like AI is such a big term, but it, it and it feels like a black box to me. Uh, it's it's almost like. To get a true sense of it, you just have to talk to people that are using it, and and because you're never you're never going to learn how it actually works, you're never going to learn the algorithms here. But just broadly, how smart is this tech at this point, in your opinion? So <laughs> there's you? probably there's probably CMIOs out there that are like listening, going, "This guy doesn't know, you know, he's on he's on training wheels with this yeah. AI." But I think as you and I talked the other day, I think that AI acronym it means a lot of things it for does. a lot of different people. And so it's anywhere from what we're talking about today with like, you know, this NLU or natural language understanding, natural language processing, I should say what those acronyms mean to the chat GPT where it can write an essay for you. Right. I mean, it's, yep. it's that whole swath or spectrum of, of things. I don't, I don't have a lot of experience with the chat GPT. I think there are, there are folks within our organization that are looking at some of those things and doing some of those things with it. Mm -hmm. That is not where I'm living in my space day to day. Gotcha. How smart is this technology? I think it's smart in the sense that, um, you know, it can help you. It does, it does help you do a better job um, with the right rules in place to document better and better capture the complexity of your patients. I will say <clears throat> I don't think it does a, a perfect job just out of the box, slap it on, and you're ready to go. I do think you have to be willing to invest a little bit of time to kind of, you know, shape it the way it's going to be beneficial for you. And so is it smart? Yes. Do our docs learn to document the stage of chronic kidney disease after they get nudged three or four times? Yes. We can measure the, the natural capture of those specificity of those conditions we can measure that to see, hey, they're doing it better now on their own. We're not having to nudge them anymore. So it does happen. Yep. Um, but I do think as we've talked about, we, you know, we've had to do quite a bit of stuff to, to kind of shape this the way we feel it's going to be beneficial for our organization and what we're trying to accomplish with it. I don't think we could just open it up out of the box and have it do, 
you know, miraculous um, things. Yeah. Okay. And the question, of course, I'm always asked, and I, I still don't think we're even close to this yet, but will it potentially replace CDI encoding professionals? Um, you, you, you've already mentioned how it, it did save, you know, FTE nurse salaries. And I know you, you can't just hire folks forever. That's just never going to happen. You're not going to have the budget to do so. Um, but, you know, it, I, I've also heard that there's been some genuine concern from my end, but also folks have said, well, this is freeing me up to do, you know, these long lengths of stay cases, these, you know, in, intensive um, patients come in with, 25 diagnoses at play and we can really, you know, dig into, dig into mortality cases. So just what, what, what are your thoughts here on the machines replacing people or not angle? <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about that question. Um, and I was thinking back to, you know, when you watch episodes of Star Trek and the doctor just used some machine and they could diagnose and see everything with just some little gizmo. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, the day's coming, maybe physicians we're not even needed. Like who knows. Right. But yeah, I mean, who knows what the future holds down the road, but I agree with you like for the foreseeable future, I, I don't see how this replaces humans. I think this is more of an extender. And to your point, you know, Intermountain, we're about, if not completely 50-50 value-based contracts versus, you know, traditional fee-for-service contracts. So now we're having our CDI nurses are having to juggle, you know, looking at HCCs. We're having to do mortality reviews, PSI reviews, CC and MCC reviews, you know, clinical validation reviews, principal diagnosis shifts. I mean, there's a lot of plates spinning in the air. Yeah. And so um, what this technology is doing is it's not driving CDI nurses away from our team. If anything, we're still slowly, you know, as we can convince leadership to do so, approve FTEs and bring in more bodies but it's allowing us to juggle more, um, more issues, more, more concepts, more things to look at um, and do it efficiently and effectively and still get good outcomes and good results. Um, because I think that's the other thing is the pressure continues from leadership to continue to, to, to turn in good results in all facets of, of metrics and finances. And the technology is not there to do it, um, but our humans just by themselves can't do it either. They just don't have the yeah. bandwidth alone. And so we need to bring the two worlds together. And between the two, I think, yeah, we can get a lot, a lot done. And I, I that's how I see it for the foreseeable future. But who knows, yep. right? I mean. And moreover, I mean, it could potentially create jobs like, you know, the, the, like someone who's a power super user um, can can pull a great report and talk about ways physicians should be using it, build a new business case with a tool. I mean, that's something that wouldn't have existed prior to the implementation of CAPD. Mm -hmm. um, so who knows how these roles will continue to evolve and uh, how they could look. So I'm, 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 I'm excited about a change is coming, but I think again, it, if these tools ultimately help with patient care, <laughs> And keeping our hospitals open, uh, there it's it's a it's a great thing, and we need to um, support them and and use them as as they're as as they as they should be. But do you see any any drawbacks with these tools? Anything that uh, limitations that maybe the vendors don't tell you about until it's it's already in use, and you, you go like, gosh, <laughs> I well, wish uh, I wish we knew this before we we implemented this or. Any places where tech falls short from your perspective? 
For sure. I mean, you know, and, and, and kudos to them. I mean, they have a job to do, but you know, every vendor you talk to promises you the world, they won't, yeah. they can tell you that you're missing out on $30 million of return and they have the one tool that's going to close that gap and fix all of your problems. Right. Yeah. And so, yep. um, you know, I think it, it's always what you're told or promised is never, not just with, and you know, it's with all vendors, I think, um, yep. to be honest with you there are a lot of bumps and hiccups in that i think for a while early on with this with this tool and this product we we did have a hard time measuring our return on investment i'll be honest about that um we probably did not do a, as much due diligence on our end to make sure that that was in place to be able to say now that this is up and running what does the data show for me to go back and tell physician leaders and their teams about what this is doing for them we, we, it took us a long time to be able to start to get to that place where we have that information and that data. Um, right. You know, I think, as we said, straight out of the box, these tools don't work as advertised and really being able to partner with your vendor to have the ability to customize as things change, as the world changes, as healthcare is changing is incredibly important. And that doesn't mean we just can change things on a dime and every day they're just, you know, looking to do whatever we want. I don't want to, you know, portray that sort of message, but it is a collaborative partnership. Here's what here's what our leaders want. Here's what our organiz organization is trying to achieve. What can you do to help us use what technology we have? How can we mold it to maybe address that gap? And then conversations begin, and we kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing I would say is, you know, just as I mentioned early on, um, you really need to have an ability to, you know kind of pilot and test some of this stuff in a safe, if you will, environment mm -hmm. um, so that you can feel assured and comfort that when you roll this out to your physicians, what you're rolling out is going to work. They're not going to be getting a lot of headaches because it really is a, a disengaging sort of uh, exercise. When you turn something on, it doesn't work. It's really hard to get them back. And so, right. um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a pressure-packed rollout then with with a tool like that, and you you want to get it right. You're not going to get it a hundred percent, but correct. Get it mostly there, and then iterate is a is a good and and yeah. And I like your comments about about uh, vendors. And to be fair, it's it's going to be very difficult for them to know exactly how your competitive market. I'm sure, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They can only put out so much, but also they they don't know what you're comfortable coding all the way. Um, they, they won't know what nudges you have to turn off and maybe that impacts their projected ROI. I mean, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very complicated, uh, I feel like I'm coming to the vendor's defense, but agreed. Like it's, it's part of, it's, it's a negotiation there, um, figuring out what, what you're comfortable using and what they can offer. And how does it interact with your EMR? You know, I know everybody says, oh, it works fine with Epic or it works fine with Cern. That's a good point too. Yeah. But everybody, a lot of organizations seem to have a different iteration of Epic or Cerner, right? And so yeah. really, truly knowing how does that, that software interact with your EMR and every time it gets updated, what does that do to the vendor product? And how do you, you know, just those are a lot of things that I think get kind of glossed over and, you know, advertise is not a problem. And then when the rubber meets the road, you, you find out there's more issues than what you anticipated. So, yeah, absolutely. It's not just Epic or Cerner. It's what version. Are you exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, 
couple more questions for you before we wrap up here. Any any danger you think of of weaken, weakening critical thinking skills uh, among CDI coding professionals or or even clinicians using this type of software? And I I, I don't know. Uh, well, I'll, I want your opinion on that first before I weigh in. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I, the, the the humanistic self-preserving answer, I guess, obviously would be to say, no, for sure, there's not. I mean, I guess, you know, there there possibly is the potential to do that um, and, and not have you critically think. But, you know, it, it's not the exact same thing, apples to apples. But, you know, as we've moved away from, you know, hardbound books that had all internal medicine knowledge to things like up to date or whatever, I don't think that's caused me to think less critically. It's right. allowed me to be able to find the answers and, and the things I need for patient care more timely and quickly and efficiently and provide better care and a better experience and things like that. I think the technology right now, um, without knowing the future, is the, is the same thing. It's allowing our teams to not just have to focus on heart failure, heart failure, heart failure. Now we can capture that maybe with a, a prompt to the physician at the at the elbow while they're doing their note, we now can critically think about some of the other complexities of, of these patients that we see that seem to be sicker and more complex every day and start to look at some of those other things that maybe we just aren't capturing as well. We're not painting the story quite as well as we need to and should, and we're not bogged down capturing heart failure and CKD over and over again. We yeah. now can look at some of these other things. So, who, yeah, who wants to do that? It, that might have been novel in two thousand seven right? or nine, but not anymore. It's like those questions you should be able to answer them with technology. Um, yeah, so that's some that's some good stuff there. Um, yeah, all, all right. Just moving on here. Really appreciate that the insight there, Corey. Just. You were also, if this weren't enough, adopting new technologies, you're in the midst of a merger right now with SEL Health. You alluded to this at the beginning of the show. Um, moving, is it, you guys have Cerner and you're moving over to Epic, is that right? Intermountain yes. at Cerner? Yeah. Yes. How big a part of job is, is of how big a, uh, how big a part of this is your job right now? And and what what does this actually look like? That's That's got to be a challenge in and of itself merging those. We, we could probably have talked the whole podcast about right. this. It is, it is a big, uh, it is a big project. You know, we've gone, we're going from a 23 hospital system and we have a virtual hospital. We have a lot of telehealth within Intermountain. So we actually consider it a hospital. So a 24 hospital system effectively to a 32 hospital system, we added eight more hospitals and we have another children's hospital coming online in 2024. We'll have two children's hospitals within our organization. It's a it's a it's a day to day. Um, it's a big project. Um, you know, Epic is very different. Um, the focus a lot. Um, the focuses whether it's quality, safety, finances, are not the same between the two organizations. And so, bringing alignment in there, how okay. do we measure that success and trying to bring that um, into alignment? Like I said, the technology, even though we're both 3M shops, we're not using the same 3M technology. So bringing that up to, to speed and getting that standardized, uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. And then we're we're also doing the same things over in, in that new part of the organization that we've done in the legacy of developing the right physician education and getting those um, individuals in in place and position, getting those meetings on the book with the CMOs of the hospitals, the, the service line leaders and their teams to really go out and start to, you know, educate these providers about all of this 
and then show them again how this technology can hopefully be helpful to them as they try to do their work day in and day out and are super busy taking care of sick patients. So Right. Yeah. And actually, that last comment you made just reminded me of something I wanted to ask and it almost slipped my mind, but I, I'll get it in. I mean, provider burnout, are you seeing this on your end? We keep reading about this, physicians nationally, high rates of burnout, um, a lot of it actually being linked to administrative work, including documentation. I'm hoping that these tools you've described will help solve that and give them more time to care. Um, is that something you guys are seeing actively dealing with as a health system? And do you think these tools have any potential there? So, yeah, I, I think the short answer is yes and yes. Uh, I think we're not immune to the burnout issue that um, especially coming out of the pandemic. I, I mean, I think it was even an issue going into it, but it only magnified and accelerated, you know, going through the pandemic times. Um, for sure, we're seeing that. And I do think these tools are helping. I think it's incumbent on us to make sure, as, as we've talked about, that the tools operate and work in the way they're designed and you want them to before you give them to the physician so that they're not being further encumbered by more technology that now is not doing what it's supposed to do and it's right. making my life harder, not easier. And I think that's our job is to make sure that those kinks as much as can be are ironed out before we take it to the masses. I will say the other thing Intermountain is actually fairly good at is really looking at, you know, staffing models and a lot of the specialties. I know with hospitals specifically, making sure that we're staffed adequately from a physician perspective to, you know, be able to see sick patients address all the complicated documentation and care issues and not be just focused on seeing 25 patients every day. You know, I, I know there's a lot that could be talked about that and I don't want to open up another Pandora's box, but mm -hmm. you know, the, it, it, that staffing piece and really making the work doable every day, just from a volume perspective is incredibly important. And then again, as I said, we have a part to play in making sure the tools we give them are, are working as optimally as possible. Yeah. Well, I love it. You're doing great work. Um, you've got uh, some emerging going on. You've got technologies emerging. And um, I don't want to keep you too much longer here and off the record, but I have to hit you with the question you were dreading the most evidently coming on the show. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> tell me about your your financial impacts or, you know, talk ill of your vendor or talk about whether we're going to be replacing the CDI professionals. It was what song are you going to add to the off the record Spotify playlist, which is a real thing, by the way, Corey didn't know this. Maybe some of my listeners don't, you can actually find on Spotify, the off the record Spotify uh, playlist with uh, Brian Murphy. If you, I think if you put that in, in, um, in Spotify, you'll, it will turn up. I'll, I'll include the link in, in when I release the show, but perfect. Uh, yeah. All my guests have added, have added songs. So I need yours, Corey, preferably seventies or eighties. So <laughs> I, I think we talked about this. So, you know, when I have downtime, I do, I do like to golf. I don't always golf. Well, don't misunderstand me, but I do like to go play golf and we, we always play music and it is seventies or eighties rock on Pandora. So I really Gotta struggled be. with this question of like, how do I narrow this down? Yeah. If you need, <laughs> you if, know, if you need two, I, I can do it. But I, I, so I, and I was trying to think, okay, what has probably not already been picked and, so I went from the '70s. I went with "Lowrider" um, by War as oh, yeah. one of my one of my favorite songs. That um, is not on the list, so. especially from you know "Gone in 60 Seconds." If you've ever seen that with uh, um, that that movie, that 
awesome little clip there where they use that song. From the 80s, I, I just got myself tickets to go see these guys in concert when they come to Salt Lake, but Journey is coming in concert. And so um, Don't Stop Believing is, is you yeah. know, a classic and one of my 80s, you know, rock favorites. So. All right. You wouldn't know this, but someone has selected Don't Stop Believing. But maybe I could put on, um, there's, there's, a, there's a live version that Steve Perry sings. I think it's Houston, Texas. Or you could put the wheel in the sky. Like that's All right, a great we, song. We wheel in the sky. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. a great journey song too. I'm going to tell my listeners though, if you want to go to YouTube and put in, don't stop believing Houston, uh, Steve Perry. And he sings a version that's, if anything, it's better than the studio version. Right. Right. Guy was just, what an incredible vocal talent. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, that's a good note to go out on. Don't stop believing this year. That's right. Doing your day-to-day work and implementing new technologies. Uh, Corey, again, I really appreciate you joining the show. This was great, great conversation. Um, For my listeners, if you like this show, leave us a five-star rating. Make sure you tell your friends about it. If you have any ideas for future guests, would love to hear from you as well. Um, Maybe you'll have the next Corey Anderson working in your organization if you're so lucky. But we'll be back here again in two weeks. And uh, take care, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Off the Record. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. We'll catch you in the next episode.